0: get ready for adventure islands of it man from the studios to volcano bay this is the universal joint a podcast devoted to all
1: things universal with your host jim hill and dustin
0: foods Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and on behalf of my co-host, Dustin Fuse, this is our first show for October of 2018, and it's that time of year when the leaves start to fall in New Hampshire as well as up in Toronto, and when ticket prices start to rise in Orlando. Just to jump into it, Dustin, did you see where the Disney Parks and Resorts is, is introducing this new online planning tool. I wanna say it's going live on October 16th. The Walt Disney Company hopes that this tool is gonna make it easier for guests to make sense of the Walt Disney World flexible pricing policy, which has been in place for what, three years now?
1: Yeah, and I always find those planning tools really funny because yes, it, it's flexible pricing which means there is a different price based on a number of factors which could include long weekends, holidays, just busier times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely, sending us a, uh, a an opportunity to make things easier to spend more money. We appreciate that.
0: Disney's putting out this tool, but in this same window of time, here's the Universal Orlando Resort announcing that they're making some changes to admission prices to Islands Adventure, Universal Studios Florida, and Volcano Bay, but it's kind of the other end of the spectrum. It's going for the annual pass holders, and they've announced that depending on what annual pass level you go for, and if you purchase your pass and, you know, initiate it before April of 2019, you can get in addition to the full year run of your pass,
1: an additional three to six months tacked onto this thing. That's pretty crazy, though, when you're looking at it, because it's different. So Universal has always had that stigma within the industry of, oh, people go to Disney World, Uh and then Universal is the side park. But with the addition of things like the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and the new IPs that are starting to show up in the parks people are starting to make Universal Orlando a destination, which it's been doing the work behind the scenes. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, with annual pass holders, though, that's a different lifestyle. It's a different run of people because you're looking at people who are not just locals. They may be doing some research and putting together a Google Doc and saying, oh, if we go for X amount of days, spread out over two trips in a year, it may be worth us getting an annual pass because not only do you get the admission, but then you get all these little discounts that show up.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting point. Now, it's the seasonal and power pass levels of the Universal Orlando Passes that uh, they're the ones that get the, the extra three months free, whereas people who pay for the preferred or premium level of the annual pass. They're the ones who will get the additional six months. And and even with these three and six months extension on, on the year long run of the annual pass, the usual blackout dates apply for the seasonal power and preferred passes. But I think you're right. I think for a lot of folks who now, because of islands, the theme park within the theme park of Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley are looking to spend not just a day or so at Universal, but are looking to go back for the holiday of Hogwarts or Back to Hogwarts school event that was just held last mm. month. So what's kind of intriguing is in this exact same window of time, we had SeaWorld, which just opened its brand new Infinity Falls sort of water coaster thing. They announced their own new four-tiered system for annual passes and We're not all made of money that some of us have just bought very expensive condos. They've set up this thing where if you're a theme park fan on a budget, you can actually purchase a SeaWorld
1: annual pass set up for $10 a month. That is crazy. It doesn't make any sense, but I see what they're doing. I see it. So being from Toronto, Mm -hmm. knowing that I am not a local Mm -hmm. to... Anything down there. I've held uh, Universal Orlando annual passes. I've held Disney annual passes. There are so many different options down there Mm -hmm. that absolutely you could be running your entertainment budget could be more than mortgage payments. Mm -hmm. Just the amount of money that goes out for you to to enjoy the theme parks. But with SeaWorld, because they know that they are in the three Mm spots. They want to give that opportunity so people can still come and spend money at their their park. So they're going the opposite way where Universal is like, we know that you want to to visit our location. Mm -hmm. Here's the price. We'll give you discounts to spend more money. But we're still getting our dollars where with SeaWorld, they're like, we want to be included in this conversation and we have Coasters. We have new stuff coming. We have all of these different projects and Christmas and Halloween and all these things. And you can come for as little as $10 a month. You're going to go and you may not spend all day there, but you're going to buy a lunch. So they are already putting additional funds into past just the initial ticket offering. Interesting point.
0: And speaking of seasonal offering, just saw some pictures online where... They're already installing the Sea of Trees which is part of SeaWorld's annual holiday programming but they're not the only ones who are getting started earlier in Christmas are they Dustin
1: It was very weird seeing this uh so over in Universal Studios Hollywood they are in the midst of Halloween Horror Nights it is happening the amount of people that are walking through that park looking at all the backdrops and the the lights and every it's amazing But as you're walking along the upper lot, right beside Halloween displays Mm -hmm. are palm trees that are covered with Christmas lights. And it's going on right now, uh, the beginning of October. You can walk through the upper lot and, hey, look, Christmas light, really Christmas light. And even on the arch, if you look really closely, you can see red, green and white Christmas lights.
0: Well, I mean, I guess the thing that you have to take into consideration this Christmas especially is going to be huge for a universal what with the release of the Grinch, you know, the the new Illuminations Entertainment thing, which actually bows on November 8th. This is the one where they got Benedict Cumberbatch to be the voice of the Grinch. And when I heard that, it was like, okay, this is going to be kind of interesting especially when you you factor in that for how many years now have they been doing the Jim Carrey inspired Grinch stuff that came out oh 2000 so we're almost 20 years of of that version of the Grinch and now with the Benedict Cumberbatch animated folks of what illumination are doing with this i have to I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do in that Universal Plaza area because that's where they always set up Whoville and they do the wonky Christmas tree and they still have, if you ride the tram out there, you get to see uh, the sets for the Ron Howard live action version. But I get why they'd be starting early. Obviously they, they want to support Halloween Horror Nights in Hollywood ends on November 3rd. The the actual celebration at the park, at least out in Hollywood, starts on the 17th.
1: Yeah, and it goes all the way until January 6th. And, you know, when we're looking at it, that's almost a solid two months mm-hmm. of the... Christmas flavor. And mm-hmm. when we're looking at the the idea that with Disney, mm-hmm. you know, Halloween starts in August mm-hmm. and goes straight until November 1st. So December 31st is that transition. Mm-hmm. And then overnight i've seen it number of years over on youtube or on their social medias they'll they'll show the time lapse Mm -hmm. of the transition between the two uh programs it's usually um a one or two night thing Mm -hmm. and they have everyone come out they've been spending months you know getting this orchestrated Mm -hmm. and universal has always they have their holiday uh situation show up Mm -hmm. you know there's Everyone knows about Halloween Horror Nights, but there's so much that goes into the background. Mm-hmm. And Halloween Horror Nights has been planned what 18 months is their their traditional you know start to finish. Well, Christmas takes a long time too. Mm-hmm. This transition is going to be a fun year.
0: When Drew and I are down in Orlando next month, actually the day we start the event is when the brand new lighting package for Toy Story Land at Disney Hollywood Studios debuts and. I don't know if you saw some of the pictures that were online, but I want to say it's Hong Kong Disneyland that has its own Toy Story Land. And do you remember the Sid's monster toys (laughs) uh, from the original (laughs) Toy Story movie from from 95? They actually installed those at that park. And in the years ahead, are we in fact going to see because there's always been this talk of of disney hollywood studios and because of you know how hugely popular halloween horror nights is at universal studios having its own halloween event and 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 they've done what you know the the villains unleash things those one Mm -hmm. night only things but they've never done the full-sized halloween event. so having just seen these photographs it's just one of these things where it's like wow i really hope that, that comes stateside, especially at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I would love for Disney to do a slightly creepier Halloween event. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, Mickey's not so scary is is fun. but
1: It's fun the first time. I think we've talked about it. I know that you and uh, Len have talked about it a number of times mm-hmm. that the, the updates just don't happen. So that's why with the differences between Halloween Horror Nights constantly bringing out a brand new event, year after year with new franchises all combined Mm -hmm. there's a reason to go where with a lot of the, the Disney stuff you know as soon as you go to a Mickey's Not So Scary you're like okay I've seen this show I've seen this huge lineup to go and meet some of these characters like you know an hour and a half two hours to meet Jack and Sally well that doesn't change year after year so for us, especially looking at, at Universal Studios, there are some some creepy uh, situations that they can draw upon, especially with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And as they start bringing in the newer franchise, especially looking forward, and we, we don't have this anywhere, but you know, talking about Nintendo coming in, I'm sorry, some of those characters could really do uh, well for a Halloween overlay.
0: We know about the Nintendo Lantern... Universal Studios Japan, but, you know, they've been fairly closed-mouthed about what's going where in regard to the two stateside parks. But looking back to Disney, though, that maybe they could update some of the stuff for Mickey's Not-So-Scary. I think the newest offering is the Hocus Pocus uh, show in front of the park or the castle, which, by the way... 2015. Yeah, <laughs> well, but also, this year being the 25th anniversary of the the release of the original film, it's been kind of interesting if you've seen any of the videos of taking in front of the castle. The audience, you know, when Winifred is out, oh, it's been 25 years. And, you know, since we... And they get this, this, this weird round of applause, like, yeah, it's 25 years. But one of the reasons why maybe Disney isn't putting... The money, you know, into, you know, it's not so scary as, well, you know, there's this Fox acquisition, (laughs) you know, $71.3 billion, and you you and I talked a a bit about the the Sky acquisition, and from Disney's point of view, it was, it, it would be cool to own that, but it's not necessary, whereas Comcast, you know, you and I talked about how it was kind of essential that Comcast sees itself as American based company and wants, you know, that worldwide reach. Sure enough, the 22nd of September, after much muscling back and forth, Comcast put in a $39 million bid on this satellite service. And just four days later, 20th First Century Fox, which had been pursuing Sky, you know, under under Rupert Murdoch's orders for years. At Disney's request, 20th Century Fox turned around and offered the 39% that it owned of Sky 2 Comcast for $15 billion. And so that, as a direct result, the parent company of Universal Parks and Resorts now becomes the full owner of that satellite service. Now, we had discussed that earlier this summer, there was some very interesting back-channel chatter about Comcast wanted Sky and Disney was willing to give it up with certain
1: concessions. Well, Disney wanted Fox and Fox was, you know, there was that bidding war that went back and forth and Disney had the opportunity to be like, hey, if we get this, there is a chance that we can Not sweeten the deal or anything like that. You never do that. But there's a way that you can go from one front runner to another front runner.
0: In the bidding war between Comcast and Disney, they had to up their bid by almost $20 billion more to to finally close the deal for 21st Century Fox. And, And then at that point, rather than continue the battle, Comcast was, all right, we bow out. So it didn't get pricier or scarier. But supposedly Disney agreed to bow out, to not do the exact same thing, to needlessly drive up the price of Sky, which, by Mm -hmm. the way, even when they bought Sky, Comcast stock took a hit because there's a number of shareholders or at least folks in the the financial industry. It's like, geez, I think you paid too much for this and what are you going to do with it? So the stock took a hit, but Disney didn't pursue it and drive the price up further. And supposedly the reason for doing that is that there's some sort of an agreement on sunsetting the theme park rights to the Marvel characters, at least as far as the Universal parks in Florida are concerned. The way Universal would then find something new to put into Marvel Super Hero Island was that they would use the characters, songs, and settings of Wicked, the Broadway musical, which, by the way, Universal Theatrical Arm produced. And. I know, know, that sounds weird. Universal Studios Japan actually had a Land of Oz that was keying off of Wicked. It ran at that park from July of 2006 through January of 2011. And Mm -hmm. in the Emerald Theater in this part of the park, they did several times a day a cut-down version of Wicked. So, taking that into account, there's a precedent that, that Universal, you know, creative people have previously done stuff with Wicked in a theme park setting. Wicked has been running on Broadway for 15 years. October 29th, uh, for those of you who are Wicked fans, on NBC, which coincidentally, again, owned by you know, Comcast and Universal, they're going to be doing a special that celebrates the show's 15th anniversary on Broadway. In fact, uh, Dina Mazzell, uh, the original Elphaba, is going to perform as part of the show. She's actually going to be co-hosting with Christine Chinoa, the original Glinda. And what's kind of interesting about Universal doing this at this time is that if you've been paying attention, Universal, after many, 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 many years, is finally getting serious about the Wicked movie. The guy who's assigned to this project to direct it, uh, Stephen Daltrey. Stephen, up until just recently, was supposed to be the guy who was directing the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie that was supposed to follow solo as the, the next star wars story film
1: yeah the one that w- wasn't official like it's official but it's not part of the seven eight nine it's it's a standalone movie
0: that's it exactly and ewan mcgregor was was supposedly on board and just last month or thereabouts bob Iger did a interview with the hollywood reporter and he basically took the responsibility for putting too many star wars movies out there too fast and it's like, look, this is my fault. He, you know, made the statement, and you know, we're gonna rejigger the schedule. And then just to get across the point that this was my fault, not Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm. They renewed her deal to run Lucasfilm for Disney through two thousand twenty-one. So Stephen now has a hole in his dance card, and so I guess the Wicked movie could begin shooting as early as next year. Mary Poppins Returns is coming out in December, and they've just begun doing sort of the screenings for Tastemakers and that sort of thing. And doubling back to us talking about Hocus Pocus, Bette Midler uh, just got to see the thing and was was just saying it was the, you know, this is absolutely wonderful film. It's going to be interesting on the heels of the Barnum movie that Fox released last year. Musicals are coming back. Absolutely. And it will be very interesting if on the heels of Mary Poppins returns doing really well, Universal t- decides to turbocharge Wicked and get that out there for, you know, 2020 or thereabouts. You have to wonder if they do in fact have this sunsetting deal with Disney. At what timeline would we see Marvel Superhero Island go down? How long would it take to change this over to an Oz-themed area.
1: The Incredible Hulk coaster is already green. There we I'm go. I'm just saying.
0: There we go. And and, <laughs> and for those of you who can't wait, who cannot wait to, to get face-to-face with the Wicked Witch of the West, it's worth noting that, of course, she is the sort of the herald character of the Scary Tales Deadlier Than Ever maze at uh, this year's Halloween Horror Nights in, in Orlando. And by the way, I have to credit Dustin we were talking about that maze last time around on our last show, and I was complaining about the very obvious safety harness that the witch was wearing. And it's like, look, I don't get this. Why is she doing this? And Dustin was like, Well, isn't this the maze where she flies? When Alice and I went through, she was not flying. But I have since, you know, a number of, of very kind Universal Joint listeners have reached out and. Sent me links to the videos, and it's a really amazing effect. I mean, holy cow. She dives off the castle and sort of flies over people's heads as they're going through the queue. I I think the only thing I miss is the broom. They don't give her a broom, but it's a really impressive effect.
1: How many mazes and everything like that. Mm -hmm. We had so much going on on the last episode Mm -hmm. that... You know there's always something else that comes out with you know the the hidden details
0: the other thing you had actually discovered that they were considering adding to the event the halloween horror night scare actor dining experience that's actually up and running now at the universal classic monsters cafe who comes to your table as you're sitting there you know enjoying your yellow rice, but? The bright green Wicked Witch of the West.
1: I thought you were going to say Mike Iolo. I'm like, that would be so cool.
0: Oh, (laughs) no. Mike, Mike, you have a healthy color. You're not green. (laughs) Speaking of food, though, you actually came across info on something that really kind of innovative that the universe was getting out there.
1: Yeah. So with. Universal Orlando it, it is a working theme park and we can talk a lot about what's coming and you know the the future uh, of you know various intellectual properties and what's being built where but they still are running a business and part of the enhancements that comes with uh, theme parks is is knowing what the mouse up the street is doing. And we've had it for years that mobile ordering is a huge part of saving the the, the mindset of guests who are basically going from one line to the next to the next. So uh, recently they, uh, they added mobile ordering to um, their official theme park app. So all you have to do is go in. Uh, It uses GPS and location base, so you can't order when you're not there. But when you're wandering through Islands of Adventure, there are three different locations right now. But keep in mind, this will definitely change um, as more of the uh, locations are uploaded. It's a pretty basic system as soon as you get the first one adding extra ones are just going to be straightforward so right now um as a recording it's cafe fourth and the captain america diner which is in marvel superhero island um, as well as the burger digs location which is in are we calling it jurassic world yet or is it still jurassic park
0: Mm, magic eight ball says check back later gotcha speaking of jurassic park world whatever they're calling it it Islands of Adventure. You were kind enough, out ahead of today's show, to point out what a recent episode of the the Midway Mayhem's YouTube channel show, and uh, they were—they've been doing a really superb job of documenting all of the prep work that's being done for that coaster that's supposedly coming to Jurassic Park uh, to, to Islands and. But didn't they mention something about the impact that that's going to have on the stuff that's immediately around Burger Digs, uh, the gaming and um, Raptor Encounter?
1: Yeah, so with any uh, huge construction endeavor it's all about the domino effect Mm -hmm. and you have to clear an area before you can build there Mm -hmm. Uh, there are a number of different elements that go into even putting shovels in the ground with electrical and water and that kind of thing well when you do the google maps view down on that section of the park you can tell that the raptor encounter is on the wrong side of the path. Mm -hmm. So everything around that area is going to eventually be encapsulated within this unnamed and unannounced coaster that will be coming over there. Well, they don't want to lose something that is incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is actually taking a part of the extended queue of the Jurassic Park River Adventure, And shifting the raptor encounter over to that side, Mm -hmm. which is the beginning of these domino effects to allow for people to start getting some work done.
0: Got it. And they're doing the same thing with the gaming. Is is that correct?
1: Universal has a number of uh, sections within both Islands of Adventure as well as uh, Universal Studios Florida Mm -hmm. where there are these carnival games. And there is still a market for them, or else they wouldn't be operational. Oh, no, they no, no, still no. have they, a budget. They, you got to pay for it. Yeah, they're, they're
0: a revenue stream that the park genuinely values. In fact, remember around the Amity section of Universal Studios Florida? Yes. The gimmick was you were coming there on the 4th of July, so that's why it was a carnival gaming aspect. But when they obviously when they built Di- Diagon Alley, that didn't fit and Universal found a way to basically take all of that gaming and move it over to Crusty Land. Yes. Didn't they do the same thing when they were building Hogsmeade? You know, they had to move a lot of the gaming that was featured in the, the sort of the Merlin Wood section, didn't they?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of sections around all Islands of Adventure where I don't think that it's meant as a distraction, Mm -hmm. but it definitely could be. Uh, So as you're coming from Marvel Superhero Island across to around the comic strip cafe, Mm -hmm. you're walking. And on the right hand side are four or five of these carnival games and a a leather treaty, which is the booth where you can go and get your um, the leather bracelets engraved Mm -hmm. and the hair styles, which, well, you and I can't really talk about that.
0: Well, you have to have hair. So
1: Yeah, exactly. But what's happened is on the other side of the path, that is where traditionally it's been an empty theater. So there, that's where at one point in time there is that BMX show. Mm. Uh, I know they still do a lot of group presentations there, but when you're looking at a theme park, you don't want to have empty space. So what they'll do is they'll put these locations up around the park where they want to distract and keep guests inside of the show
0: interesting point before i forget we mentioned berlin wood and of course that gave way to the wizarding world of harry potter hogsmeade and you came across in in your research for the show so very interesting imagery about the the attraction that's being built up there tell you what let's take a quick break and then we'll get to that story okay And we're back. I want to say you you found this over at Theme Park University. By the way, a website, I, I highly recommend Josh Young does some amazing work over there. But Josh, I guess, found this piece of artwork that was put up on Pottermore. And for those of you who don't know, the Pottermore website is the global digital publisher for... Harry Potter and the Wizarding World. Uh, you know, J.K. Rowling uh, launched this several years back and they do some really fascinating stuff over there. But it's the first piece of promotional art that I've seen
1: for the Hagrid Coaster. Do you want to describe the artwork? I think with any of these images that go out mm-hmm. there is a community and the community is very good at putting something like this out there mm-hmm. and without any sort of commentary. It's this is what we discovered. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And when you look at it, it is incredible. So it's basically a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's there's a lot of hidden gems within this poster. Definitely go in and check it out. Just do a straight Google search for the the Harry Potter um, uh, coaster at Universal and it'll it'll pop up. But what's interesting is what's in the background, so Hogwarts Castle is in the background, mm-hmm. but on a different stage than we are used to seeing it. It's it's there, mm-hmm. but it's not uh, the forefront. There's something else in the forefront, and it's it's the these pixies, right?
0: Cornish pixies.
1: Yep. So what does that have to do with the coaster? And what's really funny, you know, when you see the construction, Mm. there's a lot that's going into the building of this, Mm -hmm. that some of those details are showing up in this first poster. Yeah, there's there's kind of a tumble-down building, which I'm assuming
0: is going to be our load-unload. Basically, you see the, the coaster track coming out of this ridiculously thick forest. And, of course, if you're a Harry Potter fan what forest you know yeah it's the forbidden forest and i guess the cornish the trio of cornish pixies that are in the foreground are sort of cornish pixies are are, are not cute you know and that they have teeth and so that just just sort of hinting at that mix between magic and menace that uh, we're gonna find on this ride <laughs> the, the thing that leaped out right front for me is the line of tanks that they put across the top a magic new adventure is
1: coming in 2019. So 2019—that's 2019, that's 12 months. Well, yeah, um, but
0: let's and let's yes, let's be clear here. It did it didn't say spring 2019. It did not say summer 2019. It just said 2019. We've seen this before, though. <laughs> yeah, we have. In fact, it was 10 years ago. Well, uh, 10 years from 2019 to uh, 2009, uh, Universal Orlando's Rip Ride Rocket. This coaster was a hugely ambitious project. I mean, when you think about it, they built a coaster basically down the spine of this theme park. And, you know, that thing stretches from the front lot, which is, you know, what they call the entrance area for Universal Studios Florida. It goes through the production central area, which is, again, where you find Despicable Me, uh, Minion Mayhem, and uh, the Music Plaza outdoor stage area all the way back to the New York City section of the park. Right? The original ride path uh, for this thing went over the twisted, ride it out indoor attraction, and, and today it goes over the Race to New York Jimmy Fallon thing. So this thing gets announced in March 2008, I want to say, after you know months yes. and months of rumors of a coaster coming. And, and at that time they said, what, a spring 2009 opening? Construction begins just a couple of months later, May of that same year, and they really, you know, hump this thing along. I mean, the, the first pieces of track are put into place the, the first week of December 2008. You know, from a project planning point of view, Rip Ride Rocket w- was almost ridiculously impressive. The park never closed. Think about it. Halloween Horror Night eighteen went forward as planned that year, and in fact, it ran from September twenty sixth through uh, November first of that year. Just just twenty three nights, which production of the sound stages was never interrupted. And I, I was talking with a, a longtime employee at Universal Creative. They only had to cut power at the park as during the construction of this for one night, and this was after the guess it left for the day after all of the television and movie production people who work in the sound had gone home and by the time everyone came back in the morning power had been restored and this project continued to chug forward even as far into the project as February of 2009 here's universal they launch a website that begins to hype that Rip Ride Rocket will be opening that spring and you know the last piece of track gets winched into place April of 2009 and the original plan was this thing would open for Memorial Day of, of 2009, mm-hmm. which, which, as you know, Dustin, you know, that to face it, that's basically the start of the, the summer season for, for most theme parks. It looks like everything's going great, except now here comes April 23rd, and here's poor Tom Schroeder, the spokesman for the Universal Orlando Resort, who has to say that the opening of this attraction has now been pushed back to... The late spring, early summer of two thousand nine, and nobody wants to talk about why.
1: I love when he says though, we're gonna open it when we believe it's absolutely ready. (laughs) That that is PR speak that you read about Mm. when you're going to school for how to handle a situation. Yeah. We're gonna open it when it's when it's ready, Mm -hmm. when it's perfect.
0: Yeah. I hate to say it, but this makes me think of the Saturday Night Live joke. Alien encounter opened at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom in, I want to say, 94? The story was that Michael Eisner had come down and attended the attraction and said, it's not scary enough. We have to, you know, and so the show closed. And for six months, they they figured out how to make it scarier. And and I want to say it's Dennis Miller who was the host of Saturday Night Live at that point and was mentioning this as part of the news parody thing that they do in the show. Basically, what he said, you know, the way that Disney was going to make the attraction scarier, they were just going to keep it the exact same way, only remove three bolts. (laughs) You know, it was going to open in June, and then it was going to open in July. And By the time Rip Ride Rocket finally opened in August of 2009, the summer was basically over. Universal had put a lot of money into billboards and flyers and, as I mentioned, a website that, you know, was to herald this attraction that, that missed its original opening date by three months. And when you lose something like that for a summer season, that's really tough for a theme park, You, especially if you're trying to get locals through the door. Uh, oddly enough, same thing happened to a lesser extent with Diagon Alley back in 2014. That was more because they had an extremely wet spring, which put that project behind schedule. Like, you know, the when they were promoting that, they said summer 2014, and and well, yeah, technically it did open in the summer. It opened July, 8th. but again, you know, with the notion that this was originally supposed to open in early June, you know, I mean, to lose that many weeks of work.
1: Well, and and you look at especially Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. Yep. That business model was supposed to also include extra hours and a separate entrance. Yeah. Uh, and you know. so there. there's a lot that goes into a business, like when you're bringing out a new roller coaster, Damn. you're looking to recoup that cost mm-hmm. as quick as possible.
0: What's fascinating about Rip Ride Rocket is, in fact, if you go to the Blue Man Group Theater there, you walk in that entrance, you can actually see the separate entrance for Rip Ride Rocket. There was, as I understand it at one point, a plan whereby if you were spending the night at city walk and universal studios florida and of adventure had closed for the day you were still going to be able to ride now mind you for a separate fee uh but you were going to be able to ride rip ride rocket you know the physical setups there still to this day but they'd never turned the key on that and i wonder how much of that is because of that first summer where from Memorial Day to June to July to finally opening in, in, you know, late August that, you know, did they just finally decide that thing was snake bit and rather than, cause it, it, face it, there's been a couple of times, for example, I want to say in 2013, where, you know, one of the, the coasters, you know, bottomed out and, you know, they actually had to, you know, come in and rescue the folks off of that coaster. It was a hard lesson to learn and and certainly to watch you know how carefully they are now using their language you know their words when it comes to the hagrid coaster you know just again not spring of 2019 not summer of 2009 just plain old 2019
1: Yeah, that's that's an important lesson that that people uh, in the theme park industry have learned. And, you know, you and I have had firsthand experience with this you over the the, the longer course of your career, where someone tells you it's happening Mm -hmm. and then you start going out and being like, "Okay, it's happening. This is what's going to be coming. You see the concept art, you see everything. And then either it gets canceled or it gets put into a different mindset altogether what a lot of people don't realize is that theme parks are as i said before living breathing working locations where things come up and you know whether or not it's a uh, a weather situation or it's money going out the door like 71.3 billion dollars that's just the way that the the business works so unless something is physically in a location with the sign ready to go that's when I realized, okay, it's going to show up. Until that point, it's all just talk. And, uh, like, we've seen plenty of, uh, of concept art that looked amazing. And, you know, spikes in the ground. They have their unoffic- or their official uh, photo op and then nothing.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the most important word in show business is business. Otherwise, it would just be show, show. <laughs>
1: Very true. Anyway,
0: so speaking of shows, you know, that if if somebody is looking to see the other stuff that you have showing around the web, Dustin, where would they find that?
1: Yeah, so I'm over at steps to magic.com. It is a trip planning website, a lot of top ten lists, a lot of not, you know, rumors or anything like that. I, I tend to stick to things that people are able to action on. It's a lot of Disney. Um Definitely putting a lot more effort into the universal side of things, but I've got a a treasure trove of of photos, so it's just making sure that I'm putting the right information out there. Um, So yeah, you can find me at Steps to Magic. You can also find me. I'm heavily, you know, out there on Pinterest. So find me over there, Steps to Magic. Twitter less so, um, you know, I'm there, but not really. I, I tend to just read what Jim's doing. Really? Uh, you, you know, you, you got to follow the right people. Well, that, um, that's, yeah, that's basically where I'm clearly not at.
0: following the right people. But, uh, <laughs> well, as for me, what uh, we've got, well, obviously, the the Universal Joint podcast, the thing I do with Len, Disney Dish, uh, fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, which, again, we're doing the live event. and in November, uh, the 9th through the 12th at Disney Hollywood Studios, uh, the Marvel Us Disney podcast with Aaron Adams. But for now, I think that will do it for this week's episode of the Universal Joint. I want, On behalf of Mr. Fuse, I wanna thank you all for listening. We'll be back with a new show fairly soon. So, talk to you then, okay? It's been Groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.